Welcome to Classically Current, where we review new films and old films and link them together. With your host, Zach and Kyle. Welcome back once again to Classically Current. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Tenet episode last week that we did. That was really fun to get into a theater again and check out a movie in IMAX. And this mo- this week we are reviewing the movie Inception and getting into a brief description and background of the director, going into some of the production, some fun facts, a review of the film, and also getting into uh, Would Your Mama Watch It as well. So it'll be fun. We'll have a good time reviewing and, and uh, kind of reminiscing about uh, when this movie came out because, uh, Kyle, we were working at summer camp when this movie came out. You were working at summer camp. I didn't work there till the next year. Yeah, because you're a loser. But anyways, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I guess I didn't realize that. You came the next year. Yeah, this, get it uh, right. Movie, yeah, July 16th, <laughs> 2010. It doesn't feel that long. This is right after we... Uh, this is the summer before our freshman year of college. High school graduates, man. I, I can't believe it's been 10 years. That's crazy. But it still holds up, I think. Oh, definitely. I think as the years go on, Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan's movies will usually hold up for a lifetime because of the way he does not use a lot of green screen, does a lot of things in camera, and he does a lot of uh, he, he adds a lot of realism to his pictures. And uh, I think that will this one will definitely stand the test of time and I think it has so far. Uh, but um a brief description if you guys haven't seen Inception before. We are going to get into spoilers here, so if you have not seen the film, feel free to check it out and come back and listen to this podcast. But without further ado, let the podcast begin. Dom Cobb is a thief with the rare ability to enter people's dreams and steal their secrets from their subconscious. His skill has made him a hot commodity in the world of corporate espionage, but has also cost him everything he loves. Cobb gets a chance at redemption when he is offered a seemingly impossible task, planting an idea in someone's mind. If he succeeds, it will be the perfect crime, but a dangerous enemy anticipates Cobb's every move. That's kind of a basic understand, basic plot synopsis for this movie. Obviously, there's a lot of things going on if you've seen the movie. Uh, we are going to get into all of that, but first we're going to go over some of Christopher Nolan's previous work and give you some fun facts. Best known for his cerebral, often nonlinear storytelling, acclaimed writer-director Christopher Nolan has gone from making low-budget independent films to working on some of the biggest blockbusters ever made. Uh, at seven years old, Nolan actually began making short movies using his father's Super 8 camera. So at a very young age, you already see that he's beginning to get into filmmaking. And he actually studied English literature 
at the University of College London, where he shot 16 millimeter films at their film society. Um, these helped him to learn more techniques, and eventually he would make his first feature film following on a $6,000 budget. And for those of you who have not seen Following, I believe it is available on Criterion. Zach, did you say it was on Netflix or was it not? At one point it was on Netflix. That is where I saw Following. It came out in 1998. And as Kyle said, it it's his first film with a modest budget of $6,000 or just under that. I mean, it's pretty amazing if you watch the movie that he was able to... Uh, make this film make his first film for that amount of money yeah yeah he made good use of it this was a noir thriller that was uh recognized and at uh, some of these international film festivals and ended up getting him enough credibility that he was able to get some substantial financial backing for his next film which would later be memento and yeah and an interesting thing about following too sorry to interrupt you there uh he basically memento no basically following his first movie he made on the weekends he was like working during the week and then on weekends he would take his friends out and i believe he was dating emma thomas which is his wife and producer and and uh, production partner they were i think dating at the time but he was just working during the week working on his film on the weekends with his friend who was one of the main actors and uh, his friend actually kind of retired from acting after that movie. He was played one of the main characters. But you get to see a lot of the things. Uh, you get a glimpse of the things to come with that first movie. So if anybody is uh, interested in checking out that one, it's a little harder to find, but it's uh, worth checking out. So, yeah, the success of following kind of led to a lot of people, a lot of uh producers directors a lot of talented people's eyeballs were on following and they were interested to see what this uh, young director could do so they helped him they helped bankroll him for his second film memento yeah that was uh, actually directed from his own screenplay that was based off of his brother jonathan's short story um it stars guy pierce who um, i've always liked as an actor um, I think he's done a lot of great work. Uh, it's brought Nolan numerous honors, including Academy Award and Golden Globe Award nominations for Best Original Screenplay. And you kind of get an idea or a glimpse, even more so with Memento, I feel like, of a lot of that nonlinear storytelling and just the the storytelling in general that Christopher Nolan's going to come later to kind of get into with his uh future work um insomnia starring al pacino robin williams and hillary swank later came out in 2002 and this was kind of uh right before what would be the turning point in his career when he was actually awarded the chance to uh, revive the batman franchise and it began with batman begins back in 2005 and that's kind of where he brought, you know, this level of gravitas back to the iconic hero. Uh, his gritty modern interpretation was greeted with a lot of praise from fans and critics alike. One movie that I do think 
that gets forgotten about in Christopher Nolan's uh, canon is the prestige because that kind of came out between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. And yet it's one of my favorites of his in starring Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman where they're magicians who become so obsessed in their own rivalry and how it just kind of leads to uh, tragedy and murder. And then, of course, we all know about The Dark Knight, how he wrote that, produced and directed it. And it actually went on to go ahead and gross more than a billion dollars at the worldwide box office and received eight Academy Award nominations in the process. So that really, I think that movie itself was kind of the one that put Christopher Nolan on the map of like these next great directors. Batman Begins was kind of like his his start, his real turning point into kind of becoming a big name. The Dark Knight kind of solidified it. And then obviously in 2010, Nolan captivated audiences with the sci-fi thriller Inception, which he created from his own screenplay, right, Zach, that he spent about nine, ten years working on. And it's pretty impressive work in the attention to detail that it would take that long. And it's all his own work. I cannot believe yeah. uh, something like that. Yeah, the way the story goes is that after Insomnia in 2002, he had this idea for Inception. And the the studios were interested in making a movie about that idea. It was just that he wanted to give the script its, its time. He didn't want to rush it. So yeah. he uh, spent a lot of months working on it after insomnia but then he, he was working on the batman franchise and you know in the early 2000s he was just on having a string of movies that were coming out every two years from 2000 you know 2000 was memento 2002 is insomnia 2004 2006 2008 2010 i mean every two years he's making something mm -hmm. and he was basically toying with uh, inception script ever since 2002 and then helped really shape it before he actually started filming it i believe in 2009 so it's uh it's really remarkable uh that he he gave it so much detail and time because he later said after inception came out this is one of his more personal films uh, out of all of his films is one of the more personal one as his dad passed away in 2009 and there is a a subplot with Maurice Fisher and his son, Robert. Shoot, what's his son? Yeah, Robert. Fisher. So yeah, there's a subplot with Maurice Fisher and Robert Fisher in this movie, and just thinking about him and having his dad pass away, and then thinking about the relationship between his his dad and uh, Robert Fisher and Maurice Fisher. It's it's pretty. Yeah, it's uh, it gets you a little emotional at the end just thinking about that. But well, not even that. Uh, I think. There is some similarity here with Leonardo DiCaprio's character and um, Nolan himself, uh, maybe just dealing with not being able to be with family as another thing when he's doing all this work, as you know, you kind of see in the movie glimpses of that with, um, with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, how he almost can't even remember their faces at certain times. But uh, oh yeah. yeah, that's a very good point because also his son 
who is James in the movie, but his son is actually Magnus Nolan. He's actually in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So you, and you also have Christopher Nolan who has the slick back hair and the goatee and then you have Leonardo DiCaprio who has the slick back hair and a the goatee. They're like there were some similar mirror yeah. images of each other. Yeah. It's like Christopher Nolan looked in the mirror and said, "Which actor can I find <laughs> that looks most like me that can actually do the job?" And he said that, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio was the only actor he wanted to play this role. So, yeah, I heard it was offered to like Brad Pitt and was there one other one? a couple others, but oh, I think it was Will Smith, but ultimately, ultimately it ended up going to uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. And I think that was the right choice for this movie, but uh, it did do well at the box office. It uh, garnered $800 million uh, worldwide. And that was on a $160 million budget. Um, so it, among its many honors, it got four Academy Awards and eight nominations, including Best Picture and Best Screenplay. And... Yeah, and it was uh, it's amazing to see his transition from following and Memento and the Dark Knight movies to then, and The Prestige, into this movie. And it was fun to see from Inception on when he had, you know, The Dark Knight Rises and Interstellar and also Dunkirk. And then you have this year's Tenet. He just keeps building and building on the movies that he's done in the past. He's he's always pushing uh, the boundaries of what you can do in cinema and also all the different stunts that he's able to do in camera with IMAX. Uh, it's really unprecedented. So Yeah, like you said, he, he churns out a movie every two to three years and it's still unbelievable to think that he's able to create such such work like that in such a limited time span so a lot of people flocked to see inception in 2010 including myself and kyle and it also did well with critics as well having an 87 percent on 354 reviews on rotten tomatoes and 74 out of 100 on Metacritic, which is uh, generally favorable reviews. And IMDb has it at 8.8 .8 out of 10. Yeah, that's extremely high. Very good high. scores. Yeah, successful critically as well as uh, commercially, which a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies are. But, uh, you know, it, it was very captivating in 2010. And for an original movie to get over $800 million worldwide, that's remarkable. And it's a shame that Tenet, you know, it's doing okay right now, but it's just, it came out in a bad year. And uh, But the good news for Tenet is it did gross over $150 million so far since it came out worldwide on August 26th. And then later on, it came into the States. And it's still, I don't know that it has been released in China yet, but China, in China, they are very big Christopher Nolan fans over there. So we'll see if it can make its budget back of... Uh, 205 million there's some other fun facts that we're gonna go over about this movie inception christopher nolan it has been reported that he is colorblind and somebody had uh, i was uh, looking at a, a video about him and they were mentioning that he had some issues with colorblindness and that's why he has these muted tones that are 
and the sense of realism that are in his movies, which I guess I didn't really think about, but yeah, there there isn't a lot of color, uh, generally speaking, in a lot of Christopher Nolan's movies. They're they're mostly grounded in reality, and they're all done without any green screen, and they, you have more muted colors in general. Um, and as I said before, another fun fact was that uh, Nolan's son played James Cobb, which is Dom Cobb's son. And if you uh, spell out the names of the main cast that go into Dreams, um, it spells Dreams Pay. Now, how does that work? You're like, what are the names of the characters and how does that work? Well, Dom Cobb. You have Dom Cobb. You have Robert Fisher. So, And then you also have Eames and Arthur, Maul and Sato. That spells out Dreams. And then you have Pay with Peter Browning, Ariadne, and Yusuf, which at the time when I watched this movie, I, I mean, wasn't even paying attention. There's so much to grasp when you're watching this for the first time that uh, you don't even think about the names, but I just thought that was interesting. It, they all spell out, the first letter of all those first names spell out dreams pay. You pay and, for uh, your dreams. Yeah, because what they're doing is Dom Cobb is the director of this group of individuals that are going in and stealing people's dreams and getting money for it. That's uh, that's a part of their, their work is uh, taking people's ideas and, and, and secrets for, and uh, exchanging it for money. Yeah, I actually, and, well, uh, Chris, Zach, I was going to touch on that real quick. I actually, oh, go for it. I actually heard too, that this was originally, intended to be a horror movie um, during Christopher Nolan's initial script or just kind of when he st first started writing it, but it kind of eventually turned into a heist movie after he was able to kind of maybe draw out more of the emotions of it and, you know, give it more time, like you had said, like eight or nine years that he had spent working on it. So to me, that was kind of interesting. It was actually intended originally to be, something else and it turned into this so it's interesting how it well, shifts yeah, like and that. You, well yeah and there are certain horror vibes that i get with maul's character at certain points in this movie and i feel like that is just a continuation of maybe what was in the script at the very beginning but then i mean i would that would be interesting to see christopher nolan make a horror movie like a sci-fi horror movie like full on. I don't know if he'd actually do it, but that would be. <laughs> He's good at the heist that genre. Would be interesting to see. Yeah, he is good at the heist genre, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing that. I'd like. I mean, I think he could do it. He could pull it off pretty well. He seems like he's got this one down. I think he needs to throw a new challenge in there. Yeah, and uh, some other fun facts for the for this film. If you look at the characters in the Dream World. Christopher Nolan said that he, he garnered inspiration for this heist movie with like the director, producer, production designer, and actor of a film set. Mm -hmm. So you have the director, Dom Cobb, you have the producer, Arthur, and then you have the production designer, which is Ariadne, which is the architect, and then you have the actor, Eames, which is Tom Hardy's character that plays the forger. And then you have the studio, Sato would be the one bankrolling everything. And then you also have the audience, which is Fisher, which is what they are 
are he's the mark there he's the one that they are doing all this for what about yusuf it's what yusuf is just the uh he's just there to uh grab everybody's coffee (laughs) well isn't he like a uh, is he like a chemist or something in the movie or well yeah he's the he's the chemist so i guess he's the one that's making everybody uh comfortable on set yeah you could say so you you could start that theory. I felt like his character because, was a little bit of um, comic relief, if there is a comic relief for um, for this movie. Yeah, because uh, there there actually is a decent amount of humor in this movie spread throughout, and I feel like it wasn't overused too much. I felt like it was a good balance. Yeah, it was proper timing. And he is one of the ones. Yeah, he's the one that has more. Uh, humor elements to the movie which i i like the cast i like all it's the a cast star-studded cast they're when all, you think about it tom hardy leonardo dicaprio cillian murphy ellen page joseph, joseph gordon yeah, all of them are have been leads and in other movies ken watanabe yes. the uh sato yep. character one of the actors uh pete postlethwaite who played maurice fisher was actually suffering from pancreatic cancer at the shooting of the movie. Um, so it's interesting because he was actually playing a dying character in the film. Uh, he, but he actually did end up dying five months after Inception's release. Um, so yeah, this was one of his last films. And I believe The Town also came out around this time. I think he was in The Town too. So those are like his last couple of films that he did before he passed. Yeah, it's amazing that he was able to keep continue working even until his last days. It reminds me of uh, my grandpa passing away in 2011 mm-hmm. in April, and he, this gentleman, uh, the actor that played Maurice, he also died of pancreatic cancer in 2011. So it's interesting to kind of look back at that time period mm-hmm. and and see uh, that this character, you know, it adds another element. Me watching the movie, knowing that this character is actually suffering oh yeah uh it's not just acting in the movie he's actually suffering in in real life so makes it a little more legitimate yeah uh some other fun facts here as well you have the snowbound sequence that was at the third level dream sequence that was inspired by james bond and christopher nolan's a big fan of the james bond movies and one of his favorites is on her majesty's secret service that was uh, inspiration for that moment in this film, because this is kind of a like a, a James Bond movie in some ways, as well in certain aspects of the dreams that they're going into. Um, Christopher Nolan didn't research dreams while writing the script; he actually just kind of went on his own memory and his own feeling of his own experiences with dreams. That's interesting. And uh, in the movie, most of the visual effects are all practical. There are certain instances of green screen in this movie, but they're very, very few. That's one of the, the hallmarks of Christopher Nolan is doing everything in camera and not using any green screen. So uh, when there is a train that is busting through vehicles, there's a, a literal modified semi-truck that is framed as a train going through an actual highway and destroying cars and it's the same thing in the dark night when they have that semi truck flip over very realistic very well done and there's also a car sequence in tenant that is very well done as well i mean 
the, the amount of stuff that he's able to, to do. And, and uh, it takes a lot of planning to get all that stuff done. And, and it's uh, it does a remarkable job. So basically every getting all, all the sets designed. Every well. Nolan film is guaranteed to have like a car crash scene or some crazy <laughs> fight sequence that just kind of blows our minds. I feel like that's well, become the staple of yeah. Christopher Nolan films. Hey, he likes action. Yes, he does. Um, Christopher Nolan was quoted as saying that I've been fascinated by dreams my whole life since I was a kid, and I think the relationship between movies and dreams is something that's always interested me. Well, that's because um, I think dreams are just very similar to um, movies, and that just it's like these images and the way they are portrayed is you know similar to how it'd be shot on screen. So. It's it's all subjective yeah. uh, based. Yeah, and now that kind of leads us to talking about our take of the movie and our review and kind of going over what actually happens. Because if you've seen it, you may have some questions. There's some theories that we have... Uh, that we're going to bring to the table. Kyle, uh, let's start off by having you ask questions or if you feel like you have a good idea of the movie itself. Like this last time I watched it, I really felt like I understood it completely. And this is probably my fourth or fifth time watching it. Yeah, this is probably my second or third time. I still don't think I fully have fully grasped it but i definitely have a better appreciation for it than the initial um time i watched it back when i was 18 and obviously probably didn't know very much about what was going on so it actually i think when i first saw it i don't think i liked it that much because i just didn't understand what was going on and it just kind of drove me crazy that i couldn't follow along so i just kind of ignored it i think for a long time then i went back and watched it and you see all the attention to detail uh and just the different storylines that are added in there and how it all kind of fits in so nicely together uh you know the use of mazes too i, I think it's inspired uh from something like stanley kubrick like in the shining how there's that maze and it's like you know our our memories are our ideas uh they're made it's like a maze it's like your mind is a maze it's just you're constantly having these ends and then these these like little places you're trying to discover. Um, it's interesting how it, he kind of portrays that all through a film. Yeah, I just, uh, I mean, I loved this movie when I first saw it. Obviously, I didn't, I mean, I didn't grasp everything at that time, but it kept me wanting to just keep watching it and just really uncover everything because I had never seen something like this. This was before I had seen Memento. Yeah. Uh, and so this is like one of my first introductions to his work. I mean, I obviously saw, you know, the dark Knight, and I saw Batman begins as well, but those did not have this many layers like this one did. This one has three different dream sequences. Then you also have a fourth one that they built in. Then you also have a flashback at the beginning. And then it kind of, so it kind of begins and ends the same. But you also get 
the uh, suspense from the different layers of dream sequences that are spliced together to perfection by the editor Lee Smith, who has worked with Christopher Nolan on some other films as well. I mean, just imagine trying to edit something like this and making it cohesive and make sense. There is a lot of expository dialogue that goes on. So there's a lot of exposition scenes where the characters are saying what is happening. And that is just a way to kind of spoon feed you information. Much like what happens in Tenet, which is there's a lot of exposition scenes in that one as well. I feel like the way you felt about this movie is kind of how I felt a little bit when I was watching Tenet. Yeah. So much is going on. It's it's like Inception on steroids. You have so much to comprehend and you don't have a time to really calm down and just go scene by scene and really, really get a grasp of it. And so this movie, I may have felt that way my first time watching Inception a little bit in the fact that I was kind of confused, but I feel like this was easier to understand than Tenet in a lot of ways. Uh, Tenet was a little more muddled because of the audio issues that were going on and because of the fast-paced nature of yeah. it. But, well, uh, you know, uh, this, I, this did kind of maybe not start off quite to the level that Tenet did, like with just straight action right away. Like It kind of opens with um, you see him lying down on a beach and there's waves. And I like the use of imagery there to show one's emotional state, how, you know, the mind is essentially just like waves, how they all, it's just a, it's just a whole ocean of uh, ideas and thoughts. So I like the use of imagery throughout the, this entire film. Yeah, this movie gives you, it gives you some time to breathe and take in some of the the, uh, aspects and the 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 images on screen you know there's some time to do that in this yeah. movie and tenet everything just seemed it's just like bullheaded it was yeah. just like a full-on crash yeah. course going right into which, it which you know with repeat viewings tenet may make more sense it may be it, i may rank it higher as the, the more times i watch it we'll we'll have to wait and see i'll have to go and, and watch it again that would be fun and then maybe we can do kind of like uh a deep dive into Tenet and explain it to everybody as well. But uh, in this movie also, I really appreciated the connection with Dom Cobb and his, and his wife. He's going, it's, it's basic on a basic level. It's a story about grief mm-hmm. with dealing with Dom, it. just dealing with his grief of, of his, of his wife that he feels responsible for her yeah. death. And in, in the movie, it definitely, he, 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 delves into that and says that it, he believes it was his fault that she died. It was an accident. He did he did the inception on her first, and that's how he knew it was possible. And then when she woke up from her reality... Yeah, and I think that's one... She couldn't get it out of her head. Yeah, I think that's one, uh, one of the successful things about this movie that maybe um, I didn't feel was quite achieved with Tenet is how the characters are you kind of get a little more ebb and flow. And with that, you kind of have the opportunity to uh, get to know the characters a little bit. And I just think the acting in general was just well done. 
And, you know, you kind of feel for these characters a little bit more where you kind of didn't have the opportunity and tenant to really, you know, stop and like feel for a second. It was just constant throughout. Whereas this movie kind of successfully did that. Yes, it was. I feel like, yeah, just like you said, I feel I was more successful in doing that. There's an interesting there's a theory that Ariadne was sent by Maul's parents to spy on Cobb and find out if he actually did have something to do with Maul's death. And they're saying that this would explain why she is always asking questions about Cobb and his relationship with Maul. So I know. that's just a way to explain the exposition that she's giving. I don't think this has any merit, but it's an interesting thought that Ariadne would like constantly asking questions and, and, get a sense of uh all of his it's like back off ariadne his past sins are almost all (laughs) to kind of explain if he actually did yeah i know it's It's like it's it's not your business stop worried about all these things but i think you know she feels for him because she is also because he sends them all down the three layers yeah and he doesn't tell them of all about Maul. He doesn't tell them that if they, because they have a, a major sedative that Yusuf put on everybody, that if they were to die in the dream they go sequence, in limbo. they would be yeah. in limbo. And at the end, this was something that always confused me when I first watched it. At the end, you have Domkov with Sato. Why is Domkov there? Well, he was... Uh, staying behind to find Sato and bring him back to the reality. And Sato had been there for probably 10 plus years due to the sedative that Yusuf had given him because he had died in the dream sequence and Dom had also um, died in the dream sequence with the... uh, Dom didn't die there, but Sato ended up dying there and going to limbo. And that's why... Dom had to go to a the fourth level with Ariadne to find Sato. And, well, they ended up finding Fisher and having him go back so that way Fisher could see his father once again and have him get that idea, get that idea into his mind so that way the mission could be complete. But Dom has to stay, stay behind and Sato has to stay in limbo so at the end you have dom with sato and he's trying to convince him that the time is up now the sedative is wearing off so now you we can both that's why he has that scene at the end with the gun they both have to kill themselves to then wake up from the dream and that's why you have such a puzzling reaction from uh, dom and sato when they're first waking up at the at the end uh when I first watched that, I didn't really quite understand, but it, it's important to note that the chemist that was working, Yusuf, had given them all a heavy sedative, and that's why if they did die in the dream sequences, they had to be in limbo for a, a long amount of time because of the sedative that was... But how to all how long is playing. the limbo, really? Like, they could have been it could have been for years in a dream, but in reality, it's much shorter, remember? Well, in reality, it's shorter, but you know, time is expanded; it's longer. And they were in their fourth 
that Dom was in there a fourth layer. Mm. And so it's Yusuf, since he gave them a certain type of sedative, it was making them in limbo be there for a long time. And in fact, Dom and Maul were both in limbo for decades. And they were able to come back from that because Dom was able to convince Maul with his Inception idea that they were not in reality and they needed to get back to reality. But when they did, Maul was still feeling that she was not in reality and that's why she ended up killing herself. And at the end of the movie, Inception, there's a lot of people, not upset, but they were like, oh boy, does the... Does the top topple? Does it does it keep going? Is it reality? Is it not? Well, Michael Caine has said in interviews that in all of the scenes that Michael Caine is in, they are all reality. And so that kind of puts a damper on people thinking that it was a dream. I never really thought it was a dream. But I just like the idea of, uh, of that spinning top at the end. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, because really... It doesn't really matter. Yeah, Dom is with his children. He gets to reconnect with his children again. And maybe that's a way for Christopher Nolan to express himself there as well. Being a, a, a young father of, I think he had two kids at the time. And um, just kind of saying that it doesn't really matter. The spinning top doesn't matter. It's the... It's the kids, and it's the connection that he's able to have with his children that he never thought he was going to have yeah. again. So he's not concerned whether it is a dream state or if it's reality. It's uh, it's not even about the external factors. It's as much as it is about the connectedness with his own family. That is what it's most important. You can see Leonardo DiCaprio's character kind of just, he spins it and then just walks away, doesn't even look to see if it's a dream or reality. He just goes on with his kids. So right, because... Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because throughout the whole movie, he's spinning that top, and he's always trying to figure out, oh, am I in reality or am I a dream? And at the end, he's just like, screw it. I got to see my yeah. kids. And he couldn't He had, He had. couldn't see his kids' faces in the dreams because uh, he hadn't seen them in a long time, and um, for whatever reason, he was, un- he was unable to see their faces. And so, I mean, that's pretty powerful for him to kind of reconnect at the end and just kind of forgive himself for the trouble that he caused with Maul and try to move forward. And it's just a brilliant ending and a brilliant movie, and uh, that's why I love it so much. There's a lot of things to talk about. There's a lot of different layers that uh, occur in the movie that I think are brilliant. You have the the rain sequence for the first uh, dream sequence and then you have the hotel sequence and then you have this snowy landscape mm-hmm. sequence which they're all very identifiable and they all are meant to be that way so you can kind of follow through and understand things visually i like that the uh rain what the rain is like representing in that first sequence how it's like yusuf and he's got a full bladder and like that's what that's what it is like in his dream is like it's so it rains because he's like on a full bladder like that's the visual representation there so that's interesting yeah that's, that's another yeah, funny that was a moment funny from moment. Yusef where they're like you couldn't hold it 
or you couldn't go before you got. Or you've got plane. Joseph Gordon-Levitt kissing <laughs> um, uh, Ellen Page's character Ariadne, and uh, she's like, "They're still looking." He's like, "Well, it's worth a shot." <laughs> so it's like it has nothing to do with <laughs> well, like why you kissed her. It's just he wanted to kiss her. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and it just like. I don't know. I never really felt a connection between the two, but uh, it was very brief. If it was a connection, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, cause yeah, it's, that's an interesting moment there as well. Um, So difference. What what are some differences in the films between the two of uh, tenant and it's, is a lot easier to follow. And in Tenet, you're going a million miles an hour, it seems like, and it's just hard to, to grasp everything. In this movie, you're able to kind of stop and, and breathe a little bit and and understand things a little bit better. Yeah. Um, you also have this, the score is kind of... I mean, I love the score for this movie. It's one of my favorites, and Hans Zimmer does an amazing job, and I, I wish he would have worked on Tenet. I think Tenet's score is, is very, very good, and it's a good, like, almost... Uh, I thought I thought it's I actually enjoyed Tenet's score more, but I did like this score because it. I mean, it just it kind of keeps the same theme throughout, but um, there are, like you said, moments where you can breathe a little bit, and I felt like this was a score that kind of gives into that a little bit more. Whereas Tenet is just like this constant pace uh, throughout, and just really in your face. Whereas this was maybe a tad more subtle, but still effective. Well, yeah, and it also gave this movie also gave a a lot of other studios inspiration for the dun, dun sound that's in this movie. I mean, like, there's so many yeah, copycats of this, like in Transformers and some of the high uh, production value uh, action films of the late 2010s, mm-hmm. and also. Um, early 2010s yep. uh, but what what other uh, made differences did you uh, find between the two I did feel like this movie on inception I felt like was almost overemphasizing a little bit more I don't know that's maybe the vibe I got like maybe like they over dramatized a little bit in certain aspects because it's like at the end of the day like isn't this just a dream like they're gonna wake up but I mean, you have you know you have moments where it's like if they were sedated, it would go into limbo, and they don't know what they're getting into. But yeah, there were moments like that where I felt it was a little over dramatized. Whereas Tenet, I felt like there was a little more of a payoff there with the dramatization with the characters. It kind of made more sense to me for some reason in Tenet. Well, there is some criticisms of Leonardo DiCaprio overacting. I almost would say movie. that, yeah, and. And I could, I could hear that, and I could uh, get where they're coming from. Because, but in the scene that he is, quote unquote, overacting, he is uh, really upset because Arthur did not tell them that uh, Fisher's mind was armed with uh, was had been extracted in the past, and it didn't come up in the research. And I think he's freaking out because of the stakes that are involved. So, in that aspect i feel like it is warranted to kind of freak out on everybody because of the stakes at play because he's wanting to get back to his family so badly he is like 
blowing up on everybody. And it also kind of references back to the... Um, there was a different point man at the beginning that also screwed it up with the carpet at Sato's uh, dream at the beginning. So he's kind of probably got that in the back of his mind as well. And, uh, you know, I think it's warranted, but I can see how people say it's kind of overreact overacting. And the whole movie is kind of a heightened sense of uh, intensity and uh, um, suspense. But that's why I like it so much. I just love that kind of suspense, edge of your seat type of action and drama. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like, I think, to me, it felt like it was the first of Nolan's films that really kind of gets in to that feel. You kind of got that with Dunkirk and you got that with uh, Tenet later on. But this was kind of the first one that it kind of got into that more. And this is right after The Dark Knight, which... You know, I guess you could say The Dark Knight did a little bit too, but maybe not to this level, at least not this thought out, where it's kind of like it's more of a thinking film itself. So, but yeah. Yeah, it'd be fun to uh, reconnect with Dark Knight once uh, the Batman comes out with Robert Pattinson, and then we can kind of compare the two. We can try to pick a Dark Knight movie with Christopher Nolan versus the new one with Matt Reeves' Dark Knight coming out called the batman next year but um i think uh overall we can just talk about our uh score for this movie and where to find it i would give this a 9.5 out of 10 i highly regard this movie i think it's a lot of fun a lot of a suspense good acting great production design the editing is fantastic the score is fantastic I think uh, I just I just hold this movie in in high esteem and I mean I know there's some haters out there that um, have some issues with the exposition and some of the other scenes where you kind of spoon spoon fed uh, information but it uh, kind of helps you get an idea of where everything is going and I feel like it it makes sense within the dream sequences that they would be explaining these things so. What did you think? Man, I, I have difficulty with this. I think I'm still going to give it 8 out of 10, which is the same score I gave Tenet. Um, I like this movie, and I respect the attention to detail. Uh, just a little over-dramatized for uh, my taste in certain spots. But nonetheless, another excellent work from Christopher Nolan. As our show starts to wind down now, just want to give a shout-out to our mothers. Would your mama watch it? That is the question we ask ourselves in this segment. Would your mama watch it? My mom saw it. She did not like it. She it, didn't understand it. It was not her type of film. <laughs> For a general movie audience, this can be challenging, even with the amount of expository dialogue that is there just to give you the information on how things work. Christopher Nolan is trying to trust the audience to really grasp the concepts. And, you know, the first time through, you may not understand everything, but as long as you can get and I get your head around Dom and Maul's relationship and the grief that he is, the grief that he has for messing that whole thing up. And it, it just, it was an emotional ending for me, uh, looking back on it this time. And my mom if she watched this, which I tried to get her to watch probably in the early 2010s, 
when it came out on DVD and Blu-ray, I think she would be confused out of her mind as well with this movie. My dad seemed to like it, but I don't know how much he uh, grasped with this movie. I'll have to sit him down and watch it with him sometime. But yep. We should just we should just sit down with our moms on uh, Mother's Day. I and think watch so. And then we should sometime. then God, we should have an episode where only the moms will talk about the movie. And they'll give their takes <laughs> on it. Oh, I would love to see what my mom <laughs> they, uh, in my last like in my last like imagine, 20 minutes of them uh, just like ranting and about how they don't understand what's going on. They may not have much to say honestly, I don't know. Well, my mom has nothing to compare this movie to because uh, all of the rom-coms and all of the the nice uh, feel-good tales and uh, no drama. You know, it'd be fun to see what her reaction is with this movie, have her review it on on a a future episode. That'd be fun. If you guys have not seen Inception... And are interested in rewatching it or watching it for the first time? You can check it out on Amazon Prime. It is there on its uh, subscription service, so it's there for free. But you can also—it was on Netflix, but I think they took it off Netflix. You can also check it out on other streaming platforms like Google, Vudu, Apple, as well. So if you guys haven't seen it uh, and you have a Amazon subscription, feel free to check it out. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Classically Current. If you like this, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast so that you will never miss a show. And if you found value in our show, we'd love it if you gave us a review so we can continue to grow and reach more enthusiastic movie fans in the future. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Be sure to check out our Twitter account, Classically Current, to receive film and entertainment news as well as updates on our show. Thanks again for joining us. Stay classy. And stay current.